Hello, parole people. It's your host, Alexandra Yamoyaoui. Alex pour les intimes. Today's guest is Michael Manilakidza, a co-founder of Plendify, an African e-commerce platform where you can buy everything. Whoa, let me say almost everything. But the important part of for me is to buy food and cheap butter. Planify has two co-founders, a Rwandan and a Ghanaian. Michael shares about the e-commerce platform and the immense market available now for African buyers and sellers. I'll even say it's been a long time coming. Not that I have anything against the US and the Asian powerhouses, but I do know that Africa needs its own platform. If you are one early listener, let me tell you that Planify is launching something awesome this June 16th. I don't even know much about it, but I've received the invite and I can't wait to see the new features. For people who have asked me one-on-one, I've always said that I intend to build Parole so that Africans will listen to the podcast and learn about other Africans. I hope to see this platform being a reliable source of information and to inspire others to start or continue on building their companies or something. In saying this, I'm grateful to see how Parole is being listened to in 65 countries for now and the average listeners who are already listening the moment I upload an episode. And for this, I would like to thank you. Thanks for your feedback as well. In a less stressful setting, I know how much it is hard to build something new for fellow Africans when you could easily be listening to other podcasts. In this sense, I want to support Planify. Why go on the app where I can shop on Alibaba or Amazon? I mean, the answer is quite simple for me. To support African startups, African sellers, and help build infrastructures that these other companies manage to build thanks to their customers. Thank you again for your support. So where can you find Michael? He's a tech guy, so Twitter and LinkedIn. I've been asked by some listeners who are ready to invest in the continent and wanted to know where exactly. For this I'll say, Africa is a huge basket and depending on your interest, find your niche. Personally, I follow what is happening in the tech scene be it in West Africa or East Africa. Tech means also agribusiness, fintech, edtech, you name everything that needs an upgrade. Voila. On this note, let me remind you to listen to African Tech Roundup, a podcast focused on, you've guessed it, tech in Africa. Go follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and my Twitter, Alex Boyi. Instagram, Parole Podcast. Do the whole social media thing. I'll leave it here. Enjoy. A new episode of Parole with uh, two East African people. Feels good to say this. I'm not going to lie. Because yeah. <laughs> most of the time when I'm talking about payments and financial institutions, it feels like everything is happening in Nigeria, in South Africa, in Egypt, and sometimes in Ghana which is pretty cool. But today I have a rund. Do we say a rundies or rundin? I still say a rundin. Say rundin, yeah. Okay. Who are you and why are you here? Thank you so much, uh, Alex, for inviting me uh, on your podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Pleasure to also uh, be speaking to a fellow East African. My name is Michael Manrakiza. I'm the co-founder and chief operating officer of Plendify. Planify is an African technology company, and we um, uh, have offices in Toronto, Canada, and also Accra, Ghana. All right. So for our fellow East Africans who are like uh, super 
prisoned in Canada. Let's just say hi to them because they're listening to Paul, that's for sure. Who are you then? Like Mike Manuel Akiza. I'm a passionate of, uh, how would I put it? Um, I like anything that's, uh, that's a problem that I can solve. I like to think about the world as, uh, as, as a unified place. I see the world glass half full. I mean, there are challenges out there. And also, um, I'm passionate about uh, my continent, uh, continent of Africa. And I think, um, although I've lived in Canada for many years, um, you know, in terms of um, being there, I, I love Canada and, and everything they, it has to offer. And I think um, what I've learned and also um, what I've been able to see is that there's, there's potential in people, there's potential in, uh, in changing the future. And also, I think um, we're at the precipice also of uh, African countries really transforming themselves on the global stage. And uh, technology has become an enabler. And we're, I'm quite passionate about what that can do for uh, small businesses and also individuals alike in terms of giving them access. I mean, it's one of the fastest growing continent. We're still not fully connected, so people don't really know about our cultures, our languages, and what we have to offer at, at, at scale. So hopefully uh, I could do my part. What was your journey that brought you to Canada? Because I remember you telling me that you lived in Burundi, the greatest place on the, on the earth, yeah, <laughs> after heaven. Uh, and what, yeah, what happened? Rona Burundi. Yeah, I mean, um, as you as you as you're well aware, uh, there was a genocide in Rwanda. But I was born in Burundi, um, and I lived a part of my life, my childhood there. It was uh, great memories. And then we moved back to Rwanda after the genocide, and for a couple of years. Uh, that was, that was phenomenal. And luckily, I got to keep back here in Rwanda as well. And then my parents decided that uh, you know, they wanted us uh, to study abroad. And uh, we came to Canada. And I've been here since 1998. Uh, did that part of my, um, I guess, I get, did my high school, did my university here, and started my professional career here. But I've always been following uh, what's been going on. I mean, I, my grandma is, is in Rwanda, also mm-hmm. family in, in East Africa. And also flying back and forth over the years, so it's uh, it's been a journey, and you always feel that um, you're kind of following uh, things around the world because, as you know, uh, the diaspora is spread out so many different countries. Um, so you always have a connection, and as you and as as people, you know, as we celebrate different life moments, we always share our culture in terms of food, in terms of stories, and uh, yeah. So I'm still I'm still quite connected, but uh, Canada is home as well. Yeah. So made a lot of great friends here, uh, learned a lot, enjoying, enjoying uh, being in those two places. Do you still speak French? Oui, je parle français. <laughs> Just trying to, to, to put people at ease every time with that question. Je, like, je, yeah. parle, je, parle, je parle très bien français, mais je pense que des fois, je peux, me, je peux faire des erreurs euh, assez, assez de base. Donc, je vais éviter comme, de... Comme, je vais dire de comme tout le chacun, mais je vais dire oui. plus <laughs> Beaucoup de Français font beaucoup d'erreurs, donc il euh, n'y a pas de mal. Donc du coup, tu dis que you love Africa. Everybody here and there, I hear everybody talking about that. But, you know, you're living a pretty awesome life. You're doing your, I don't know, let's just say you live in Paris and you're doing well. And you say, yeah, but I do love Africa. And I know that I travel back and forth there. I see my parents, I see my cousins. So what are you doing for the continent or for the country? Because to just be honest, 54 countries. Hmm? I totally <laughs> forgot at some point that South Sudan was a 
country at some point, I have to be honest. How do you explain to yourself first and then to others, like, I'm living in Canada, I'm living this work, and I'm really going to focus on, you know, building something great, because that's, you know, that's the whole intention. Let me do this for my living, and I'm really believing it. That's a very, uh, I think that's, it's more than one question. <laughs> it is, that's <laughs> but, uh, but I'll, I'll maybe uh, take, take, uh, try, to, try to tackle it in the best way that I can. Um, so professionally, um, you know, I come from a background of uh, banking and finance. So I followed um, things that happen around the world in terms of investments, in terms of how technology has become sort of what we used to call the industrial companies. So industrial revolution that happened, and now it's like the technology revolution where somebody can build a, a platform and then all of a sudden there's billions of people using it around the world. So it's democratized that access and it's created opportunities that before were not even available. So when I think about the continent and also how young it is, people are adapting to technology faster. So it enables people to work in a borderless way. So you could be working with someone in Russia, you could be working with someone in South Africa, you could be working with someone in uh, Australia. Now the borders have slowly come down. And of course, we just went through a pandemic that kind of created this huge forced learning on everybody, even those that were in the villages that were completely disconnected. Well, how do you tell them that you, there's a vaccine available? How do you inform them that uh, there's lockdown procedures that are changing? You can't really do that by word, you know, you have to use technology. So although you could say that I'm here, I mean, I, I've, been in, I've been in Accra and Ghana where we do most of our work physically many times and for an extended period, but although you could be in another country, you could still create impact because now the world is kind of like the borders have kind of, the walls have come down a bit yeah. um, and people have adapted. So there's been an acceleration of hyper-connectivity and for the most part, it's been good in that sense. But of course, we can't say the pandemic has been positive because it's disrupted people's lives and it's created a lot of um, failures and business challenges for, for individuals and also we've had lost lives. But on the continent now, people that are building, they're not building just for one country. They're actually looking at how do we solve this for many African countries mm -hmm. at the time. Meaning that you can force everyone to speak English or force everyone to speak French. But it also means that there's something in, in the way you can create um, a tool or a service that can serve many people at a time. Um, so that allows me and I guess other people that are thinking of how I can you know, set up a business in Vietnam, set up a business in, in, uh, in Brazil. How is it that I can do it while still being connected to maybe where I am? And uh, it's become possible a lot more than I could say maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> so uh, that, that, that honestly is the only reason that I'm able to do what I do is because of, of those, uh, those new uh, tools. Uh, the... All right, can you give, because uh, you said your background, your studies is like in finance. Can you give us the moment where you're like, I thought of this uh, idea. Was it in high school? Was it in you know, university? Was it like during your professional life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, frankly, I think um, if I go back to my youth, uh, I've always been interested in uh, anything investment related. Um, and uh, I, I, had some, I had some knack for numbers. So I, I ended up going to York University, um, studied business and finance. 
So I graduated there in 2010. And I straight away went into banking. I worked for Edward Jones, which is a US-based uh, investment firm, and then progressed to working to, uh, at BMO. And then finally um, spent about almost a decade at Desjardins, which is one of the largest French cooperatives in Canada, but they also have clients across the country um, in the other provinces. So they have about uh, close to uh, just over 6 million clients. And essentially, I worked in a space where I was always exposed to investment opportunities that people talk about emerging markets, frontier markets. But at the same time, I always knew that as much as people talk about China and India, there's, there's also back home, that's an opportunity, but it's still a place that a lot of people don't understand. And um, of course, it means that when people are thinking about investments, they're also looking at businesses and business ideas and um, those innovators that are doing things. So I started following more and more people that are doing things so to really understand what is actually happening. Um, we're still in the very early stages that we're nowhere near where, where you hear about in China and um, in India, because um, those are countries, number one. So we have 54 countries on the continent, of course. So that's why you maybe hear more about it from Nigerian startups, maybe South African startups. And then uh, I, had a, I have a friend, his name is Bolsaki, who's also my co-founder. Uh, we used to talk about um, things that were possible back home. He's gone in. And we were thinking about, okay, are there things that we could do? But also I was speaking to some family members about other ways to maybe invest in the continent, maybe do some private investment or maybe start, you know, buy land, real estate, all those things were on the table. But um, I do come from a family that believes in having impact on people's lives. One thing that people don't know much about me is that um, because of the genocide in 1994 in Rwanda, we actually started a family charity and we raised over $30,000 to help over 240 children have access to secondary and primary school over a period of a decade. And it was led by my mom, my grandma, mm -hmm. and my sister. Uh, my sister was uh, the spearheader of that when she was in high school. And uh, it was a family uh, thing that we were very proud of. So every year we sent kids to school. We made sure that um, they, we followed up on them and graduated at donors that helped us do that. So it was a very uh, tasking effort, but um, how do you marry, you know, business and impact? So I think uh, the answer was technology. And uh, when I came around to talking about how can we can use technology to make impact at scale, uh, obviously while still doing uh, sensible business, that's how kind of my company came to be. And now we're really looking to, you know, we, we talk about scale in terms of uh, the number of people across multiple markets that we and I think that's how, that's how I came, came around to this. Yeah. Ghana and Rwanda, you guys are thinking about this idea, Planify. What is it for someone who's just discovered what it is? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, Planify has gone through some evolution, but at the core of it, Planify is an African technology company. And we're at a mission to solve problems for small businesses. Um, we do that by operating an e-commerce marketplace that is called the uh, Planify B2B Marketplace. That uh, marketplace allows uh, buyers to discover African suppliers. Um, currently, you can discover Ghanaian suppliers. And there is a big challenge where if you're trying to buy supplies or whether you're buying a retail quantity or wholesale, it's, there's a lot of friction in the transaction. You either can't get a hold of the person, you don't know how much inventory they have, 
or also you can't trust whether if you pay them, the money is actually going to be delivered with the goods. And unfortunately, even though e-commerce is still, is, you hear a lot about new e-commerce platforms, customer service is very, very poor. Mm. So you have all these uh, factors that kind of make it a challenge for someone even outside of the content to say, how do I start a business when I can't reach all my suppliers? These days? So there's, there's so much friction that it can sometimes um, make it hard or maybe uh, dissuade someone from going about their business. And when you look at uh, people that are trying to start a business, they, they have a time crunch. So they have so much time to allocate so many things. And the last thing they want is to um, spend months looking for a supplier, a reliable supplier, and also having to have payment issues and delivery concerns. So what, what, what we do at Plentify uh, is that we allow the, a buyer to find the suppliers that we have on the marketplace who we've brought on by verifying them and, and bringing their items onto the platform. And then the buyer can either buy retail or wholesale quantities. And wholesale buying online is very new on the continent. I think it's, it's like scratching the surface, but the B2B space on the continent is about $3.5 trillion in a, over the next five years in terms of growth. So there's already transactions happening, but they're all offline. So that means you have to call a supplier, go visit their warehouse or their shop, or maybe just trust their word that they're going to bring you the supplies that you want. We're trying to digitize that so that it can be easier for anyone to access suppliers for their business. But what, also we, what we also realized along the way is that uh, people outside of the continent are looking to invest in the continent and they want access to those suppliers as well. So we, we, we kind of broke the mold of, of payments in terms of access to those suppliers. So if you are abroad and you want to buy supplies for your, for your house or you want to buy supplies for a business and you're starting, you can do that basically on the go. Like you would, you know, you're, run, you're managing a business, maybe you're in two different countries, you didn't have a chance to meet with the supplier, okay. If they're available on our platform, you can place the order, maybe even place a special order. Help, we're gonna, our customer service team will help you figure out exactly what you want. You make the payment and we, we coordinate the deliveries to your, uh, to, your, to your location. So it creates um, transparency, access. It saves a lot of time to, uh, to businesses that, that are really crunch for time and also individuals. And also it creates trust until, um, a few years ago, um, you know, you look at it, you go to a website and then it's, the website is outdated or there's no longer, the contact number doesn't work, the number switched off. So you don't even know if that supplier is still in business. You don't know if, who you're talking to. Sometimes there's no information on the person who you're looking to talk to. So it's hard to make uh, cross-border transactions to with businesses. And given the impact of COVID and the adoption of technology, it shouldn't be that hard should be as easy as, um, as the technology is available, but the trust factor and uh, the platforms are still being built, including now. I'm going to ask a question that sounds so European or worse than. <laughs> Why do Africans trust more a European or an American company doing the same thing as you guys were doing, but because it's like Ghana or Africans were like, um, I'll check, let's uh, just say Twitter. Because, you know, <laughs> and like, no, but you know, Mike, like, Mike is doing this and he's, you know, why, before we go into the real questions after, which is a pretty real question, but like, obviously it's not written in the algorithms, but where do you sense that lack of trust? Because it means either we don't trust us, each other, 
And if I'm going to get screwed by someone, it better be a white person or they just say Alibaba. And, you know, and you're like, what is this logic? Yeah, I, I don't blame him. If you look at um, e-commerce, it's very nascent. You know, we tend to assume that those platforms have built presence on the continent, but they haven't really. Um, when you order from them, you know, you pay duties and sometimes you have to go pick it up. Right? It doesn't actually come to your doorstep. Um, so there are a lot of, um, you know, we have to give it to the, the innovators already that are doing it, but there are not a lot of Pan-African uh, platforms to begin with. And also um, people like to see before they buy because they've been, so maybe they're, they're not sure exactly that they're, you know, maybe the information isn't sufficient, right? To say, okay, this is exactly like what I'm going to get. There has also been um, at, the, at the government level or at the uh, country level, the rules and regulation around online businesses are still being formed, right? Consumer privacy, things like that are still being put in place. So, so you could say the digital infrastructure is still very nascent, even the, it, sometimes technology moves so fast that the governments or the officials in charge of different categories are still catching up to it, right? I mean, we saw that with FinTech, but the nice thing about the continent is that we can actually leapfrog into new technologies, right? Into new ways of, making, of, of paying or, or buying things. And um, because of that, I think the adoption will actually speed up, kind of like how it happened in Asia, where um, you know, the, the, the bigger platforms kept innovating and then kept growing and now pretty much everyone is, is on. And also the cost, the cost of data is quite high. So don't so you would assume that someone who's in North, North America can browse for four hours, right? And the cost of data will be affordable, but it's the same person is budgeting their data for their video content, you know, their, their more important things. And now they have to do it for e-commerce too. It won't make sense. So Facebook had to come out with a lighter version of their app, right? Because it was too heavy in terms of data, consuming a lot of data. What we've done is that we've made our app work offline a little bit more. So it saves a lot of data when you're offline. And also we're building a USSD equivalent platform, which means that if you don't have a smartphone, you can also still access the suppliers mm. uh, using a short code. So there's a, there's a, there's a, where we are today with technology in terms of just, just the development of it, the adoption, and also trusted platforms are still, still early days for, for many. The cost of data is another factor. And then just the education that, okay, if you buy this, you can actually buy this online and, you know, learning how to search for things and, yeah, you know, if you go on Google and you look for suppliers, majority of them don't even list any product they sell. So you'll find them in a directory, and you don't know exactly what's available. So that's so those are the challenges. So the businesses themselves also have to adopt technology. You know, for people to say, okay, well, I can buy from them, and maybe I already know them. So even the best, the most popular brands, some of them you'll find they don't have the ability for it for you to pay for them online. Interesting. I'm going to give you this example, and it really struck me when I saw your your, your website, because I, I think it was last year or a year before. A, a friend of mine had been to Ghana. She came back for a couple of days, and then she brought me a cocoa butter. Super excited. I was like, yes. And she brought me like three or four. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. And I was super happy. And, uh, and then a friend of mine who lives in Denmark was like, I'm looking for some cocoa butter. I said, oh, okay, let me check my friend who is in Ghana. I will tell him, you know what I mean? Like, and then I realized like, we're in 2020 guys. This is, you know what I mean? A funny thing versus what I saw like a couple of days ago on CNBC, it was a CNBC video that I saw how the COVID the pandemic changed 
how people home buyers we're not talking about cocoa butter basically <laughs> like people are buying homes that you saw once or twice on instagram and i'm like see guys africa we have yes so if i want to buy something now let's just say because i'm burundian fruito uh, some arachide you know cacahuete and things that i miss back home i go online and i'm like I live in France, so I have a French uh, debit card and I have all these things and I'm like, oh, where do I start? How is this going to happen to, you know, to reach me back uh, in Lyon? Yeah, that's a, that's a great scenario. In fact, um, so I can answer um, in two ways. One is um, a lot of suppliers don't trust, they, they're not ready to pay the fees to go online. So one of the challenges that we've solved is really figuring out the best way to attract them online by making it affordable, number one, and negotiating with them a better way for them to pay us, right? Because when a business wants to sell, they're ready to invest in marketing, but then to what extent, right? So until they understand that by them adopting multiple payment systems, they'll create a bigger buyer base. They're not all ready. And some of them, they don't trust platforms. So there's a credibility challenge, right? And even when they're ready, they're not ready to invest in like the photography to take the high quality images. So you know exactly where you're getting. Mm. So what we're also doing on our end is that we go to their stores or their warehouse, their manufacturer and say, look, let's work together to get better images of your products. So there's a lot of work that's done offline to actually get a business online. I think we assume that when you see things online, it's like automatic, but you have to take nice pictures. You have to get the measurements, the dimensions, the, all, the, all the details have to be ready for you to really sell online, right? I mean, you can trust that the brand is doing the right thing, but people want those details. So platforms like Alibaba and others like Amazon, they've had decades to build this uh, know-how. And the suppliers that sell on those platforms, they've also picked up on what, what they require in their, their expectation. The other part is setting the expectation of what the buyer's expectation is, right? In Ghana, and I'm sure in Burundi, someone that wants to order something, well, at best case, a week is really good time to get it, wow. right? I mean, I'll take and, that. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, uh, but like, you know, when you, tell, when you tell a buyer in North America a week, they're like, what? That's like a century from now, right? So, and I'm sure in Europe, right, you hear startups that are doing like 30-minute deliveries, and yeah. I'm just like, wow, I wish we could do 30-minute deliveries. <laughs> The traffic alone and uh, the drivers and all, all those things. So I can't get into the logis the logistic side of it, but it's it's um it's it's about number one. It's also the, the culture of business is not yet at that speed. So you also have to kind of work with them and take a lot of the friction out of their hands. Right. The more you tell them to do, in in our experience, the likelihood they're less likely to come online. Right. What we've noticed, for example, is that will start a conversation to onboard a supplier. It takes anywhere from a month to a year. So if you get a supplier on an e-commerce platform and you're trying to say like, okay, by next year, we'll have all of them. Well, good luck. <laughs> I can tell you that's how long it takes just to get a supplier on, on, a, on a platform because the work involved, right? If you're setting up an uh, Instagram page or you're setting up a Facebook page, minimal, minimal effort required, right? It's, it's nothing like setting up an e-commerce store. Setting up an e-commerce store takes a team and it takes um, uh, willingness and investments, right? Both uh, photography and also product and just monitoring, right? 
okay, I have to check for the notifications. That means my data has to be on. You'd be surprised that a lot of them turn off their data to save data costs. So you have a lot of numbers that are switched off. And that's why WhatsApp is so popular because it's a low data usage platform. So when you're really thinking about connecting with a supplier, majority of the time they might be offline just to save data costs. And these are, these are the realities of the continent that you just have to appreciate and not maybe say, okay, well, why don't you just absorb the cost? Well, they have other expenses too. So they're just trying to manage and it's not their fault, right? The telecom companies yeah. do charge quite a bit for data. So those are the details that are not visible to you online. So what we've done on that front is, you know, our customer service agent uses WhatsApp. Uh, we call them, we coordinate the pickup. Um, we work with our delivery logistics companies to make sure that everything goes well from the packaging side to the timing of when the, the pickup is done. And then we obviously update the buyer on the, on the, on the website uh, through our order section that the pickup has been done and then the drop-off is gonna happen. To answer your question about getting something from Ghana to Lyon, um, this is something we just, uh, we just, we're just about to announce. Um, we signed a partnership with DHL. We're very proud because DHL is, uh, is a believer in e-commerce on the continent. They've invested heavily, um, whether it be their network of drivers, their network of, of, of um, planes, they, and also their API, right? So we're connected directly with the DHL. That means that when an order comes, it hits their system, and then they know that it has to be picked up. And of course, they're also familiar with the continent. They've been around for decades. They're yes. not new. <laughs> <laughs> so for platforms like ours, we need to work with similar partners like theirs. We also work with RMX, who is similar to DHL. They're a Dubai-based uh, company that is in 50-plus countries. Um, they're not that well-known in North America, but they're growing really fast, and they have an amazing service. We, we're extremely happy to be partnered with them. And again, they also do export. But these are the kinds of companies you need to rely on to really try to get to that level of standard. But then, of course, you have to keep improving as you as you as you as you work uh, work work your way on the volume, in terms of the customer service side, um, what we've invested in is we have both a local number and international number. So if you're from Lyon, you can call from our one eight hundred number. If you're local in Ghana, you can call a local number. We're going to have some local numbers in other countries too, so that way it's easier for people to call in and you can speak in your dialect. If that's easier. So in Ghana, we, there's like three different dialects. So. When a buyer calls, they, it's not in English, right? <laughs> might be in Twi, might be in Fante. So those things are the kinds of realities you have to keep in mind because people want to be comfortable when they transact with you. DHL, uh, once they come online on Planetify, what they'll do is that they'll enable us to um, deliver worldwide within three to five days. And I think that's, what we, that's the next step to really uh, democratize access to African suppliers. Um, a lot of them, they want to do business with the world, but they don't know how. Mm -hmm. They don't have the tools to do business in the world. We just, funny enough, we just had, uh, we just had signed up a supplier that actually sells uh, peanuts. Uh, and I'm sure they're high quality. I'll send you some for there sure. You Thank you. Thank <laughs> and, you. And uh, um, yeah, I'm sure. And I hope, I hope you like them. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's not, I'm not criticizing, but I love peanuts here, but peanuts from Africa. It's another love. <laughs> but let's just... Yeah. Focus for a second, like three to five days. Mm. I'm asking for a minute of silence, seriously. This is crazy because at the end of the day, you just said like um, a 30 minutes, you know, uh, 
when you uh, yeah order things amazon and honestly sometimes amazon don't, doesn't deliver and i'm a prime member sometimes so like <laughs> three days late and i'm fine with it you know what i mean it's like i don't want the guy to rush unless you know sometimes but not all the time in africa we have this sense like customer service it's a really a huge problem over there and i'll be honest i worked in different places in africa as well i'm not gonna say that it was part of the problem but i've witnessed other things <laughs> training people you know in understanding that if i am buying something whether it's five euros or five thousand euros i kind of need like to know where is my product and how do you start training like the team in understanding the value of the customer service to have the proper let's just say like the peanuts or book and maybe it's, something is broken you know it's not like oh it's fine it's okay you know you'll leave like <laughs> Don't say that, you know? yeah. it's a it's a it's it's a it's a work in progress but in terms of our system um what we've done is um every customer service agent we have we, we run two shifts right now number one they they have uh they follow a greeting process so they follow standard customer service uh greeting they we actually call and message our mess our clients right away once you join, there's an automated you know, messaging system. We also have a chat system. So you can chat with us uh, anytime in the app and online. So if you have any question, you can send us a message and then we'll, we'll help you resolve it. We also have a refund policy. If you're not uh, satisfied, you can get your money back on the same card. And speaking of the uh, European debit card, we're actually integrating European debit cards um, in our system. So right now we can accept the European credit cards, but European debit cards are probably gonna be available in the coming weeks. So, so in terms of uh, our payment systems, uh, we have partners that handle that. So we can't be experts in all. I mean, of course. marketplace requires uh, different technologies to mm -hmm. do that. So they on the customer service end, um, you know, they have a, they work with the dashboard where they can see the orders, the, 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 the chats, the inquiries are coming in, both from the supplier and the buyer. So it's not what you see at the front is not the same as what you see in the back, but what you see at the back allows to manage the customer service inquiries in an effective way and to ensure um, things are managed properly. We also still get calls from buyers that don't want to do it online. So when you go to our checkout, you can call to order. So you can call and place an order and then we'll actually pay, send you a payment link to pay um, with your preferred payment system. So whether it's mobile money or it's card. So it's a it's a way to still manage sales that are offline mm. while bringing them into our system because you can't overnight change people that are 95% of the economies on the continent are still cash if not 98%. Sure. Yeah. So we're we're less than 1% but it's growing that are fully digitized. And the nice thing about um, handling the customer service for the suppliers is that we can at least ensure a minimal level of quality, right? But you can also chat with the suppliers. So we've enabled that every supplier store has a chat function. Mm -hmm. So if you want to chat with the supplier within Planify, you can do it. So you can speak to them and actually maybe even place a special order and it will help you get that done. So you can chat with the supplier. They'll get a message directly in their inbox. They can respond to you. You can chat with Planify's customer service team. You can call us. You can email us. You can contact us any way you prefer. But basically the point is, End-to-end -end customer services is vital to our business. Okay. And how about the payments? Because obviously the mobile payments is doing well. Can you tell us about how some, some clients may get, uh, may do the payments and pay self, of course, because obviously. Yeah. 
So payments is, is very important. And um, there's a few companies that have actually aggregated payments on the continent. So one example is Flutterwave. They're one of our partners. So Flutterwave is a Nigerian company that's uh, recently became a unicorn, the first African unicorn. Uh, we're very proud to work with them on the payment side for other African countries. So what they do is they aggregate payments from different countries. I can't say that we have 100% coverage on the continent because some countries are still yet to adopt different payment sure. system, but every country has either MTN or Vodafone or yeah. Airtel, or maybe M-Pesa in Kenya. And those are the, the local ones. Then you have like the cards, the banks that accept you know, bank transfers. Um, what we've done is that we, we've um, worked with our payment partners who can aggregate that. So when you go through the checkout, depending on the country that you're coming from, you'll see those payment options. If oh. you are in Europe or if you're in an outside of the continent, you'll see international payment options. So we, so it, it, it works by like your IP basically. So All depending right. on the country you're in, your payment system will be different. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I have to make this joke because it's Nigeria and it's fine. <laughs> the moment I saw that Flutterwave and some other African companies, Oh. Yeah. I, I, up until now, I haven't said anything about Jamia, by the way, and I'm proud of myself. Let's just be honest. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, I know. <laughs> so the fact that they were able to thrive in an environment known for, let's just say, lots of prince and princes trying to send you money, you know, like you're able <laughs> to manage whatever payments this and there, I'm going to work with you because it means that it's legit. How about people who are like, on one side, I am that person who used to criticize or be skeptic, let me not use um, uh, criticize, but, and then you realize digi digital payments are so much needed. You know what I mean? Like it's, the pandemic did, did help a lot of things. I have an Apple Watch, but I'm not using the Siri. I'm not using uh, Apple Pay. I'm like, nope, I'll use my credit mm -hmm. card, my debit card, yeah. and I'll use cash. That's who I am. But I know there's some, some instances that I may be like, oh, I've totally forgotten my wallet. Let me use this Apple Watch. In Africa, I'll freak out. It's, it's just a reality. How do you try to instill to Africans and tourists, actually, because it doesn't mean there will be only Africans buying there, to be like, okay, some people may have your numbers, but yeah, no. Yeah. Privacy, my friend. Yeah, that's why we, so every payment uh, company that we work with, payment system has a uh, PCI compliance, right? So all your information is secure when you go through payments. Uh, what's important for us to manage is obviously make sure that the customer gets what they want. And then if they're, if they're uh, not happy, they get a refund. So obviously they have to okay. refund it back into those accounts. So every payment system has like a dashboard of its own. We can manage uh, refunds automatically. We don't need to do a lot of extra layers where we have to, sometimes we have to call them, of course, uh, to, to rectify things and also see how best to, to move forward. Privacy is very important. Security is very important. Everything that we do is encrypted, whether it be on the buyer side or on the supplier side. The thing with payments is that it's being adopted at a faster rate when it comes to mobile money, but the continent still has a lot of unbanked people. So... We found a lot of our smaller suppliers, they want to be paid out in mobile money. And even some of our buyers, they prefer paying with mobile money, even though they have card. <laughs> it's faster, oh. it's more efficient. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised. So bigger companies, they work with cards, right? So if, um, if uh, but then 
cards are not very popular on the continent, but for people who have established bank accounts and bank services, um, then they use cards. Luckily now there's even QR payments that are coming out in Ghana. Ghana is actually taking the lead uh, in QR payments, which is very exciting because we want to bring QR payments to our platform as well. It just makes it easier. It's also more low cost for uh, small businesses because they don't mm-hmm. have to carry like a POS machine, right? So when you go to see your store, they just have like a, like a printed uh, QR and you scan it and you pay. When I was in Accra, I used to go to the market and then just say how much of things was and I would type in the mobile money number and transfer the money to their mobile number. And that was it, that was it, no cash. I actually did not carry a lot of cash. I think that's at $200 uh, while I was there for more than six months. So uh, on me at any time. So the taxi drivers accept mobile money. A lot of places you'd be surprised. And I know in uh, Cote d'Ivoire and other countries, Orange is there, um, they process mobile money too. So the, the challenge is we have to build two, two things. One is we always, we always have to work very, very hard to keep you know, fraud and things outside of our ecosystem. That's like a, a job on its own. And also at the same time, you know, when we process payments or payouts, we have to make sure that we do it securely, which is why we don't we use a third party uh, partner. And also we have to make sure that all that information is not like easily accessible to anyone. So there's a, there's a big effort on security. You know, it's a collective effort too. So we do our part then the payment provider does their part. And I think over time, of course, the trust will improve for everybody to, to work with different platforms. So far, we've been fortunate that, um, you know, we, we have good partners at all sides, but that information isn't available to everybody. So I think what's going to happen is mobile money adoption will continue to increase because it's affordable. I think banking, unless banks really do a good job of improving their technology, it'll be very hard to convince. You'll see a lot of more fintechs, like banking fintechs that start taking out a market share for younger people because right now banks are not really investing as much as they could to provide convenience, right? So there are, so you have like the payment systems that are actually slowly going into banking, right? You even have other platforms that are offering like Visa debit cards or you're preferring to use that instead of using the main bank, but the banks still have the license for banking. So you can't go around them. Um, so we just integrate everybody and we make sure that um, we give access if a buyer wants to pay with whatever system they want, they can pay with that. Interesting. And how about the, the blockchain technology? Because it, it feels like uh, we're like 10 years in the future, into the future. We actually, uh, honestly, we, we're open to it. So if you want to pay with Bitcoin, I mean, we're okay. Why not? You know, the, the thing with, um, with those kinds of technologies, the adoption is at a very fractional, like it's a small percentage of people that adopt it. And I'm not saying this in the sense of we can always add those kinds of payment systems because um, platforms like uh, Coinbase in the U.S. and Binance in Asia, they've actually made it possible for businesses like ours to accept payments from people that use those accounts. Uh, there's a growing adoption of crypto uh, accounts uh, in Nigeria, in, uh, in other parts of, uh, of Africa. It's still very small. The volume is very, very small. You know, sometimes the volume can also mask that there's some people that are trading a lot, right? But it's not representative of the number of people that are trading. So you can have like three, four people that are trading hundreds of millions of dollars and then the rest are trading like a million dollars, right? Yeah. It just means that there's a curiosity and also because uh, crypto is borderless, people want that flexibility. 
for us, really, it's always a compliance issue. It's always a fraud issue. As long as we're working with a company like, like finance or like, uh, like Coinbase and we've done our checks that, okay, mm. it's safe to integrate with that. And you already have an account there, just like you already have an account at a bank. We're happy, we're happy to consider that. We haven't done any decisions yet, but, it, but it's not something that we're an e-commerce marketplace. Our job is to serve buyers access our products and services from our suppliers. We, we process the payments whichever way you, you want to pay yeah. us so that we can achieve that goal. I think uh, I don't have a strong opinion on, uh, on, on blockchain because it's not, you know, there's blockchain for supply chain finance, there's blockchain for, for like smart contracts, things like that, but it's not at the core of e-commerce yet. It will become interesting i like maybe like say for farmers like if you want to track something like from the farm to to the to the to the, to the warehouse to the end user in the u.s i know walmart is actually piloting something mm-hmm. around the blockchain on that but the u.s the walmart also has billions of dollars to spend time on <laughs> right so so you so you have to you have to check your priorities in terms of where are you what, what are you trying to solve for first and if you have the time then be my yeah. guess. I mean, I think for us, there's a lot of work just doing what we're trying to do. Right That's true. Before I go to this next question, I have to ask, what is an African startup, man? Because I'm so tired to hear lots of things. And then I see the headquarters and I'm like, and the co-founders and I'm like, hmm, again? <laughs> am I from Finland? Am I from China? Well, we have such a big diaspora that I think... Um, you know, the, the context of an African startup, obviously, is they have to, it has to be from the continent. So my co-founder is, is in Ghana. Our team is in Ghana. We, we have people on the ground and uh, the tech team, the entire tech team is in Ghana, basically. Mm. Uh, we, are, we have um, some of the, myself and uh, a few staff in, in Toronto, Canada. And funny enough, uh, one of, our, our, one of our, our employees in Canada are also uh, Africans, uh, our, our designers in Nigeria, she's in, she's in Canada. Uh, because of the diaspora nature of the continent and because there's so many of them outside, um, I think the importance is that everyone is, is, is involved, everyone is, um, is welcomed. Of course, um, it's hard to say you're an African startup if you have zero operations on the continent or if you don't have actual Black Af- um, Africans. But I wouldn't say just Black Africans, just Africans that are you know, at the very top of the company, right? If your C-suite is not African, if your stakeholders are not African, or at least majority of it at the inception, of course, you can welcome investors and partners uh, yeah. around the world. Then is it really an African company? The thing with headquarters is that it's a, it's a matter of investor appetite. It's a matter of also sure. uh, access to capital markets. We don't have big stock markets. So if you want to go public, I mean, your options are London, Hong Kong, Toronto, uh, New York, right? So we don't, again, we're still developing so many different um, uh, areas to give access to capital to businesses that in the US, you know, they might get shafted for not being African, but really and truly, they have access to capital markets. Uh, they have investors that are interested in the business. So sometimes when it comes to investors for, for, for the last hundreds of, of you know, maybe thousands of centuries, Investors have come from all over the world to invest in businesses, right? Um, so I think um, as long as you're solving for African problems and you, of course, you can go global, you can call yourself a global African company as well because you can be solving for global problems, but also solving for local problems. 
but it, it really starts with what's your um, cap table looking like and what's your C-suite looking like. And I think that kind of speaks a lot of volume to whether you're not. Wow, 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 Jamia, <laughs> we're looking at you. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's it's really diplomatic what you just said, but it's true. When I see the headquarters, it doesn't mean that you can't open, like I can't open a company in Ireland, let's just say that tax purposes or for like convenience. Yeah. But it's true that when you look at the the, the founders and the C-suite, it's scary to hear that, you know, I don't hear any. You see, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a problem of access. It's a problem of also um, just that ecosystem getting stronger, right? Right now, it's not strong enough. So um, you see a lot of people that are coming from outside saying we're solving African problems. We're not really an African startup. So let's just kind of be very <laughs> upfront about that. <laughs> When's the last time? I think the, the basic thing is like, when's the last time you were on the continent, right? Okay. You'd be surprised that sometimes that might not be the case or, um, or do you even have, the, are your decision makers on the continent? Like sometimes those are, I like to, um, there's some organizations now that are realizing that the further they are from, from the countries that the markets that they're serving, mm-hmm. the less likely they are to understand them, right? Power outages, you know, those are realities, right? Yeah. Network issues. There are a lot of chains, things that, and obviously political climate changing like we just saw nigeria ban twitter okay so you built your business on twitter now what are you going to do the regulators in kenya changing the rules for like fintech lenders there's so many things that you if you don't if you're not close to the market or in the market you can't really be an african star because you'll be sideswiped and you'll be you'll just not know that things happen and maybe you'll be like there'll be like a delay in information uh, a huge delay yeah (laughs) <laughs> but like you know that that's the challenge i mean we want you know you sh- we, sh- we should welcome um innovators from around the world just like america did because america really built their entire country on immigrants uh jeff bezo is from uh cuban uh immigrants so i don't and then Elon Musk is you know South up. africa Thank you very yeah. much. So, yeah, so I think people forget, you know, uh, you still need to be welcoming to really build giant businesses. So yeah. to me, the market is so, f- there's so much work to do that um, more people should. But of course, if there is some negative comments that are made that are not justified, uh, such as there's no talent, which is completely false, that there are no, like you can't build a talent. That's, I mean, that those, those are the kinds of things that irritate people because, uh, in fact, our first thought was we cannot build a talent outside of the continent. We have to build it locally and we have to build capacity locally. So those are the kinds of things that infuriate people. And also, it also infuriates them that um, they don't recognize that at the C-suite, you can have an African leading uh, global tech company. Yeah. And with your company, how do you explain to how did you get how did you get your funds basically did you go to the bank which i'm pretty sure you didn't because not not even sure if banks understand at this moment the power of like a startup did you go to a vc was it an african one there are lots and lots of african vcs but you know you don't hear them like in, in the us uh is there any silicon african silicon valley that people can be like oh let me pitch an idea let me not fly to San Francisco for this one. <laughs> Let me just go back, uh, go to Nigeria or Ghana. Where do you go? Where Where do you go, or where did we go? Is that did you go? In your case, okay. Um, we're still self-funded. <laughs> it's not easy. So obviously, uh, family 
uh, I mean, we don't have family and friends in the, in the round, but we're actually raising money. Um, interestingly, that you, you bring that up. So we're raising money um, to scale up the, the business, but we're still self-funded. Uh, we've been self-funded for some time, uh, partially, you know, personal, personal funds, uh, mm -hmm. loan, personal loans. One of the challenges is obviously building something of value and getting traction. So showing that uh, the business works. I think sometimes um, it's not always a good idea to raise money at a certain stage if you're not ready to really build a, build your business. If you're still on a PowerPoint level, I don't think that's the right time. You know, you really have to solve a problem. <laughs> um, but hey, but people people get funded at PowerPoints too. So Man, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's phenomenal what's happened. Um, you know, venture capital is the highest risk type of money, right? It's not like you put it in the bank and you know you're going to get it the next day. You put it in something that you think will happen and, you know, the failure rate is still so high that most of the time it won't happen, right? Um, the failure rate is like so high that majority of venture money actually dies. So sometimes people say, why is it so hard to get funded? Because there's a high failure rate. Hmm. Even the best ideas don't take off, right? They, they people don't actually start the transactions don't happen there's no revenues customers um fall out of usage there was a story recently about why is clubhouse worth four billion dollars but also not long after they raised that, that valuation they were supposed to be apparently some company wanted to buy them and then their their usage almost like collapsed um in the last couple couple of months um there, there are also stories of companies that don't raise any money and they, their users just fund the company, right? But sometimes you hit a point where even though you're not raising money, you want to get to a stage of your company and you want to grow to satisfy your users, but also your partners, right? Mm -hmm. Because they want to know that you're a solid business. So I think um, to the extent that um, there are funds available on the continent, there are different programs that are run by, for example, Mesca Foundation. Mest Africa has been amazing work. They have like chapters in different countries. There are a lot of accelerators. There's a lot of grants available. Obviously, you can always start with friends and family if you don't have your own capital. It's always good to be more than one founder if you can, because maybe that can help you also to avoid the skills that you might need to pay for. So if you have someone that's technical, then maybe they can help build the product if you're in tech, right? If you are in manufacturing, you might need some funds because you have to buy like certain raw materials and yeah. you have to like package it and then you have to actually sell it. So that so you can start at a smaller scale. The nice thing about what's happened with, again, with global access is that if you buy something from China and they can help you start your business, maybe that could be one way that you start showing that. Let's say at the, at the, at the product level, right? That you could build something, a product that is sellable. Every business has different funding requirements, to be yeah. honest. You can't start a nuclear reaction, nuclear um, Farm, right without without capital you can't start a car manufacturing business without capital the nice thing about technology is that you can almost start from a very low base but you do need to build something people want and people need you can't just build something that you feel like it's nice to have if you do that you can still get funded but <laughs> it'll depend so usually the source of capital is usually your your own funds your, um, your, if you can get a loan on, on your own, you can also ask for, for uh, business loans that exist. There are some business loans for startup uh, and also for small businesses. You can also reach out to friends and family to look at um, helping you um, raise some additional funds. Mm. And your customers are number one too, because your customers ultimately are your source of funding as you, as you progress. So the challenge is that you also have to think big because um, when you do raise money, it's not about, okay, you have to think about 
building a big business uh, in the sense that that funding should propel you to another state where yeah. um, your investors will be happy with how you've used your, your funds, mm. right? Because ultimately, uh, the investor wants a return. They're not doing charity. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know, right? It's it's interesting. So <laughs> investors, uh, you know, uh, you can go back to the to the first uh, airplane, to the first time we had electricity. You know, all they all they all had to raise money. They they showed their invention, and then they asked for investors to support yeah. them, and that's how they built their business. I mean, this is nothing new, right? It's just that you always have to pitch yourself, your business. You have to be consistent. You have to show traction. I know it sounds now that maybe you could just do a presentation and then you get money, but every, even the best inventions have had challenges. That's interesting. And how about Ghana then? What do you see in Ghana? What's, what's happening that we're not seeing in different countries in Africa, other than Twitter coming to Accra? I was going to mention that. <laughs> see, I'm on um, point, my friend. I'm on point. So Ghana, Ghana um, what I think has, has happened in Ghana that's made it an attractive place, number one, they've done a great job of letting people know that they're welcoming people, number one, because that's the first step. <laughs> people need to know, okay, this is a place to do business and you can come and do your business. Um, they've also invested a lot in uh, digitizing different parts of their economy. So a mobile money adoption is extremely high. Um, literally everybody has mobile money. So just like in Kenya, you, it's almost hard to find someone that doesn't have mobile money. So that means that you can do businesses, you can build technology with mobile money because you know you'll reach enough people uh, in the country. Okay. Whereas um, if the adoption is still low, it's kind of hard to imagine how you can reach that many people, right? So we can confidently say that mobile money penetration is in a 90% in Ghana, just like in Kenya, which means that if you build a business and you, need, you only accept mobile money, you're going to reach majority of people. Those are the foundations that you need. Um, they also have recently, um, the ID system is quite robust. So if you want to do some verification on the business or on the individual, you can do that in a digital way. So that at least allows you to validate uh, basic information like, okay, is this a real ID? Is this a real uh, business uh, registration number? So if you're dealing with suppliers, you want to know that those are legitimate businesses that are online. So, I mean, I can go on and on on things. There's obviously their own challenges that they have. And what I really love uh, that I maybe didn't talk about is they have a digital address system because their Google map isn't up to date. Every business actually has a digital address system that is run by the government, which means that they need that address system to get a passport updated or to open a bank account. So we use that as a way to map out both the buyer and the supplier. So we always know their geolocation and it's a government system that they built and it's actually integrated into our system. So it's something we haven't seen in other markets, but in Ghana they have it, which makes it <laughs> makes the world so much easier. So we can we can even we can even do same day delivery uh, if you order before 11, 11 a.m. Um, in Ghana. Oh, so meaning they're the first African country doing so? Well, I don't think they're the first. I can't. I can't. I don't want to make a, a an, an uninformed comment, but I'm just saying that their digital address system is um, it's a law. Number one, it's in place. It's been in place uh, for five years, and uh, different businesses are using it now okay. to validate the address of the individual or the business. So it makes it easier because the address system is one of the biggest challenges on that. Wow. And what about Rwanda then? What is there? What do you see? What is uh... 
Although I'm burned. I think Rhonda has the same uh, ingredients of success. Um, I'll start with the first one, which is they've told people that they're well open for business. Again, you have to look at the basics because before you do business anywhere, you need to be welcomed. <laughs> Otherwise, it's kind of hard to be like, I'm going to go fight with them. <laughs> so um, business, business is always looking for the, for the greener pasture and places where they can thrive. So before you make an investment, you want to make sure that obviously that investment um, has the right ingredients right, to, to do well. So um, I think the environment, enabling environment is, number, is important. So far, with our interactions with different stakeholders in Rwanda, we've been very well welcomed. So we, we believe that um, being a Pan-African company is also important. So I think going beyond the borders of Ghana, it's important. And also connecting faraway markets. Obviously, the, the West African market is, is key to our strategy mm -hmm. as well. But I think um, our value proposition could extend to connecting faraway markets as well because of the fact that the delivery service will be the same anyways, <laughs> regardless of whether you're in Ivory Coast or you're in Rwanda. So we're not worried about that part. But the enabling environment, uh, they've also invested in technology. Again, things are some things are digitally found. So we always need digital data to build the digital business. And we need, you need the enabling environment where people are willing to adopt that technology. And there is a, there's a concerted government push to encourage people to adopt the technology because that way, you know that you're going, everyone is in the same, going to the same, the same objective of helping people thrive in the digital economy. All right. I heard some, uh, I think she's from Cameroon. She, she, she told me one thing and it made me laugh for like an hour. She said, Paul Kagame, like, uh, with the accent, it's like, Paul Kagame is the best PR of Africa. And I was like, true, my friend, <laughs> true. <laughs> now you say Rwanda. You're they like, just had oh. basketball, right? The, oh, uh, right? the basketball African league. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, they're doing some great stuff over there. But Burundi is still the best country, but it's fine. But it's fine. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your next step then? What is your five-year plan? Technology-wise, it goes so quickly. Maybe when we talk in six months, we'll be like, so we just bought a satellite and we're doing all these things. <laughs> What's there? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think technology-wise, um, you know, we do have a roadmap. To, to keep building um, a robust platform to scale, to scale the platform in terms of uh, bringing on more suppliers. The roadmap really is to um, deepen our relationship with our suppliers, ensure that um, we remove friction between, um, this, uh, between the, the, the process, right? Um, mm -hmm. Things like uh, real-time inventory, things like um, ensuring that uh, we work with them from a packaging point of view, from a delivery quality time point of view, from a customer service point of view, those are all uh, the basics. Um, but I think if we look out five years, uh, we will likely be in multiple markets. We'll have um, a team that can address or speak multiple languages and also support those markets. Whether, whether it means um, having regional offices to support the development in those markets, I mean, we're keen to support the markets that are ready to adopt our platform. I think it's not all the markets that are at the same level. So, of course, um, those that are already have the ingredients, we can easily work in those markets and then build out the infrastructure. I'm sure five years from now, things can change so dramatically in different markets that we might be in. We might be further ahead than, we, than our objective. But then from there, I mean, the goal is that anyone around the world can now order something from an African supplier and it'll be delivered to them in days and minutes. 
I mean, this is crazy, but itself is just like, I should have stopped the interview like, oh, you can have your thing in five days. Let's <laughs> just say a week, just because. Yeah, let's just say a week, yeah. Let's just say a week, it's fine. Even two weeks, actually, I'll take it, it's fine. So, wow, let's just say in five years, maybe you'll get bought by Amazon, because you don't know, maybe you'll be a unicorn. Are you selling, Mike? Are you selling? <laughs> or are you staying after? We're not selling, but we're fundraising, yes. So um, I, I think the challenge is, um, there'll be more competitive landscapes. So you always have to have a high bar of standard. I do see that in five years, we should have some competition. You should never assume that no one else is building something amazing. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's exciting to see people doing something similar because um, there's others that are a little further ahead than us because we're only seven, really we're only seven months old in terms of the fully fleshed marketplace where it is today. Um, so seven months is, uh, is not a long time. Um, and I think um, keeping a high standard and keeping your customers happy is always number one. So both the buyers and suppliers, if they keep the, working with us um, and we keep them for a long time, then we'll be, we'll be doing much better in five years. Than, than there you go. I'll call Jeff. Last question, because it's Africa. How are you dealing with the free zone area? How is it helping you grow? The free zone area has finally been enacted as of January. Um, there are still implementations that would take a couple couple years to actually fully be fleshed out. So although now it's been official, it doesn't mean everything is, uh, has been uh, enacted by all the countries. Um, again, when we talk about ready markets, again, those are the, that's maybe something I forgot to mention earlier, but that was actually a criteria for us to look at countries that have already adopted the free zone agreement in terms of ratifying it. So like, have you ratified a free zone agreement? Yes. Okay. How far are you along? Oh, okay. Very far? Yes. Okay. So because you see it's much easier to do cross-border business if they've enacted that because then it reduces the cost mm. of doing business, reduces the, the cost. And it's already been it's already been ratified in most countries. So the markets that we're already targeting and looking at have been already ahead. And they're they're actually accelerating their full adoption, which also means that. If a buyer is uh, if a buyer is looking for a supplier in that market, right? Let's say from Ghana to Rwanda, from Ghana to Nigeria, for example, that means that it'll be cheaper for them to buy in Africa than to buy from outside. So for the longest time, it's been um, the tariffs did not promote inter-Africa trade, but now it does, and it's a monetary value that's significant, and it could be somewhere from thirty percent to hundred percent, right? So um, we see it as a, as a huge, huge way, a positive for our business because we are focused on cross inter-Africa trade, but at the same time, we can't be close to the world. So we're, we're focused on inter-Africa trade. We, we're open to global trade as well. Um, but I think we'll, be, we'll, we'll reap those benefits as those countries continue to ratify in each category because they'll, they're ratifying by category, by different things so those are all still um, things that are yet to be determined but the countries that are already ahead i think they're creating um, a competitive advantage for businesses like ours to say okay we'll do business there because you've already ratified so what do you want to say to your future customers who are listening to you i'm like yeah i'm, I'm excited <laughs> and don't forget to send me those peanuts because i want to taste them <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to say, uh, you know, believe, believe in, uh, in, in a brighter future. I think um, the continent has challenges every day. We need to balance the negative 
news with the positive news. I think that the positive news is not as, uh, it's not, as, it's not, it doesn't share as, it doesn't go around widely. <laughs> the, positive, the negative news travels like, oh, uh, like light speed. <laughs> like so, so I think, I think we need to, uh, we need to balance the positive uh, news with the, with the, the challenges that the continent still faces. Um, I think we need to support more African businesses and we need to, you know, give them the room to improve. Um, I think there's a lot of young innovators that are probably the next billionaires that we haven't yet even uh, discovered. And also, I think, um, you know, we need to work with the rest of the world to, to, to make the continent even more interconnected because really what's, what's lacking is, um, is capacity building, not necessarily knowledge and skill. It's really just capacity building. The minute, the minute that's in place, I, and the, hopefully the in the, the environment is there, I think it's going to be great to to do business um, in many many countries. Um, so visit plentify.com and uh, make sure that you check out our suppliers. A lot of them are, are doing organic products, so we have organic shea butter sellers, uh, plant based, and everyone is moving towards uh, natural natural products. We're also working to bring some Ghanaian chocolate that are produced oh. and made in Ghana that you can buy um, uh, and also probably Ivory Coast very soon. Come on. So these, yes, I, I didn't mention that, but I should have told I'm you. I'm getting right? ready to like, <laughs> okay, summer is coming, summer is coming. <laughs> exactly. So, so those are all the little things that I think we're doing. But yeah, I mean, the goal is that our vision is that tomorrow if someone wants to start a little African shop in, uh, in, uh, in Lyon or Paris, they can source everything from a platform like ours we can deliver them regularly and then we can sell to their customers locally. This is like, uh, how do you say it? Like, not Chinatown, but like you can create an African town. <laughs> town. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's crazy. Exactly. You can, right? Because that's really, because as long as you can get it there, you can, you can, yeah, you can. I'm thinking about all the Burundians in uh, Rundins in, in Canada, for example. They're like, oh, we don't have enough products because we live in maybe not Toronto, like Saskatchewan, Vancouver. It's fine. Yeah. They're like Saskatchewan places. I'm like, nobody knows where it is, but sometimes you can be African. <laughs> sometimes you may need exactly. some. So visit Planify, that's for sure. I'll link everything. Thanks yeah. very much for, for this time because normally the, am I learning a lot about what's uh, the possibilities are able, you know, through technology and everything. But it's always really interesting to speak to the founders and kind of have the vision because when you read the, the magazines and you read journalists, it's always exciting. It's like this kind of wave and it's like everything is happening in Africa and people are like, some people DM me, they're like, where are the opportunities? I'm like, have you listened to the previous episodes? <laughs> but I'm, I didn't say it was easy. I said there were things happening in this area. So if you want to try, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's fun. So people who want to get in touch with you, maybe they should uh, link with you on LinkedIn. I think that's the professional way. For yeah, them. LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. I, I try to tweet uh, regularly, but uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not as proficient. So, but I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn. And, um, and yeah, happy. And if there's anyone who has a business or knows someone who has a business owner, I can also share my email. They can email me. Um, we, we definitely want to hear from anyone who's got a challenge and who we can probably help solve the problem for. That's great. I mean, it's a vision that's really interesting. So thank you very much. And for those listening, I just reached a point where I'm so much of a muggle, media mogul that I've now part of the African Tech Roundup podcast. So for those who are looking forward to know what's happening in the African tech scene, 
there you go e-commerce finance real estate whatever it's all there so thank you very much for this time and i'll see you on this uh, future episode thank you thank you very much uh, alexandra Cheers.